Coming to iTunes, Stellar Conversations, a series of conversations between WPP senior female leaders and a cohort of future leaders. WPP is the world's leading advertising and marketing services group, and Stella is WPP's UK network for senior female talent. My name is Frances Illingworth, and I'm a founding member and chair of WPP Stella. I'm WPP's global recruitment director and have worked within the company for 15 years. I'm delighted to introduce our inaugural episode of Stella Conversations. Each episode, we will pair one of our most successful female leaders with an up-and-coming female talent from the WPP network for a one-to-one conversation about trends in marketing and communications and advice for women progressing their own careers. For more information about Stella or WPP, employees can visit our intranet inside WPP. Stella is listed under communities. Other listeners can visit WPP.com. Subscribe now for up-and-coming podcasts on iTunes. Please spread the word and share amongst women and men, colleagues, friends and families. In this episode of Stellar Conversations, we welcome Helen McRae, appointed Mindshare UK CEO in 2015. Helen combines her UK CEO role with her role as Chair of Mindshare Western Europe, representing Europe on the Group M Europe Board. She came to Mindshare in 2004 to lead the global Unilever account before assuming joint responsibility for Mindshare EMEA. Helen is a truly global citizen, having worked on every continent bar Antarctica and has equally diverse career background covering banking, education, logistics and, of course, media. She graduated from Carnegie Mellon University in the US, but still holds her Aussie passport dear to her heart. She will be interviewed by Emma Wright, Sports Account Director, H&K Strategies. How would you describe the company and what you're doing at the moment? It's always hard to describe. I mean, there's two things. It's describing what Mindshare does, but also I find that many people don't understand when you say I work in a media agency. They don't actually understand what does a media agency mean. So let's start there. Um, Because for me, you know, working in a media agency is probably the coolest job on the face of the planet because... When you come to a media agency, you get to work with technology, you get to work with brands, you get to work with you know, creative, you get to work with insights and data and analytics. It really brings together everything about the new age of marketing that everyone keeps talking about, big data, programmatic content, and it all comes and coalesces, I believe, of course, because I run a media agency, here inside the media agency. And that's what Mindshare does. Mindshare doesn't do just one thing. Nick Emery, who's, who's my boss, says that um, media is the start and end of everything. And if you think of that through, it is true. When you think about communication, we do insights. How do people react? What do people really want to understand about brands? Who are these people? But if I have to say what Mindshare does is that we are the adaptive marketing agency. Insights, data, creativity, all of that in one place. What do you think is the most exciting change that we're going through as an industry? Um, I- there's lots of things. I think to, to broadly, I think that um, we now have the technology to to now create and talk to uh, people on an individual level. So if you think the minority report or you think uh, we now have the ability to craft and be able to identify very specific individuals online and create messages that feel very much that they are meant for that person. So that's quite exciting. 
And then the other bit, which um, we spent a lot of time talking about, is um, AI, so artificial intelligence. And what does that mean in this new world of chatbots? What does it mean in terms of our own industry, in terms of how much can we do by machine learning for big data? Is that how can we take that big data, which is quite overwhelming and quite amorphous, and actually break it down and create something that's actually quite meaningful and succinct? AI is an interesting one, like I said, from, from yes. the makeup of our own teams. Um, there was an article shared around our office recently about AI replacing workers in certain disciplines. And I think there's a few people, one hopeful they might start coming in and doing our coverage reports and our admin for us. But you know, also, um, it is a genuine concern. Do you think creativity and human insight is probably one of the areas that's preserved? Do you know, that AI wouldn't be able to come in and, and replace what the people do in this building? Or? I think, I mean, it's quite interesting because you, when you think about AI, you either think about, you know, all the movies you've seen where the robots take over and the humans end up enslaved to them. But at the same time, I also think that people don't realize how much AI is already out there. And it because, as soon as it becomes normal, or as soon as it becomes incorporated into your life, you don't think of it as, as AI. Think about all of the... The, the you know the online chatbots that you talk to you know you don't think anything of it think of all the ordering that you do online a lot of that think of med- medicine think of teaching there is still a lot of industries that use a lot of AI that people aren't aware of and I think there is a lot of opportunity in there but it will never replace humans and so we were talking to last week we had IBM IBM Watson in which is you know the world's you know most intelligent supercomputer you know, AI, and they were talking. They were talking about actually not artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence. So the augmented intelligence is actually, you know, the human and the machine working together because one, they can both work in tandem and they can work in harmony together. But both the humans need to be need to understand what are the limitations of the technology. And actually understand what do we actually want to do with the technology and what are its limitations. And I think we're doing great things with it. I don't think it should be anything scary, but it does it does raise the specter of, of automation. And it does mean that you know people can be fearful of their jobs. But at the same time, what it should be is to say, look, what it we should think of it as a way of of raising the floor of all the jobs that we do that are quite mundane, that are quite boring. Um, that are repetitive and say if we can take away those you know that amount of brain power just to do that and then enable the people that work in in an office to actually explore and use their brain and create great things that can only be a positive thing you know people talk a lot about it when they talk about creativity and that sort of thing and you need those those moments that you know great things are are created out of that kind of a serendipity or a completely nonsensical irrational thing that doesn't make any sense but somehow becomes the most amazing the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and it's not something that has that fits an algorithm and that's and and that's to some extent the magic and that's the magic of human beings and it's the magic of of why I think that that's why I feel intensely positive about the role of humans um you know in, in in advertising, in marketing, and in media, you know, they're desperately, desperately needed, and and machines can help us do greater work, but they cannot and they will not replace us entirely. Hope not. Moving on from robots, because I'm um, I'm a sci-fi geek and I could talk about them all day. 
you've had a really fascinating career that, that's led you. Oh, this is the retrospective part, right? Not, I'm not using the R word. It's like the anymore. Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> I have the big red book. This yes. is your life. Yeah. Um, you've worked in every continent except Antarctica. Yes, that's true. If my, inter- if my information that is, is correct. actually true. Um, how? Wh- what's that taught you in terms of leadership across all those different countries and, and cultures? Um, obviously, you go into different offices in different countries, and there will be different dynamics, mm. different personalities that you meet along the way. I mean, for me, leadership is about learning. I mean, so when I worked in different countries, it was because I I love learning. I love you know coming into a new situation and trying to figure it out. Um, and that is what leadership is about. Leadership is an iterative process. It's something that you constantly have to to work on every day. Um, and it also requires a lot of stimulus. And that's what I got from traveling around the world was that, you know, just working in different cultures, working in different in different countries. But at the same time, while there were many, many differences, there were a lot of commonalities. You know, you are still working with people. You're still working with brands, with businesses. And at the end of the day, there's a lot more commonality across borders than what people give a lot of credit for. Were there ever any challenging moments um, going in as a, as a woman leading in, in, in some countries and some cultures where maybe people weren't so used to seeing that? It, I mean, yes and no. I mean, uh, there's a story. I, I worked in Korea um, back in 2000-something, um, and... I think I was quite an oddity. You know, children used to stare at me, you know, in the um, and cry, actually, um, on the metro, that sort of thing. And because they weren't used to seeing, they were used to seeing lots of white men, but they had no idea what to do with uh, a relatively young white um, Anglo woman coming in. And then um, the other bit about when I moved to different countries, um, I've made the effort to learn the language. Um, and so, and then who spoke Korean... They didn't know what to do with me, so there was no rules or anything that could that that applied to me. So I actually had a lot more latitude and a lot more freedom to do what I wanted because there wasn't any defined box that I sat in. So for me, it was actually not difficult, but it was because I was kind of an oddity more than anything else. And do you think learning the language helped you both? Oh yeah, communicating um, but also listening. Right, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it does. I mean, I, I also used to be a teacher, and I think the other thing is you learn to be very sensitive to your audience about whether or not they understand you. And then also learning a language also shows them the important bit is the effort you make to communicate, and it's not about the accuracy or, or how complex you can see. They would always apologize for their English, and I would say, well, don't. And then I would speak either, I speak Thai, and I would say, I would then speak in their language and I would say, okay, is that correct? And they would say, no. And I would say, did you care? And they would say, no. And I'd say, well, then there we go. So it's not, it's about the effort. And if you make an effort to put yourself into someone else's shoes and you make the effort to try, I think that that opens up a lot more avenues than if you don't. And I think that sounds really obvious, but I think there's a lot of people who who don't think about that. And just a little bit of effort goes a long way, particularly when you're looking at um, cross-cultural divides or cross-cultural you know, conversations. 
since I didn't realise that you used to be a, a teacher, and there's an interesting parallel there in terms of everyone knows that you have different styles of, of teachers. I always thought that, that the great teachers were also performers. They really then took what they were doing and kind of you know express themselves. They learned to orient themselves. They learned to kind of speak out. They learned to try and draw in the audience a lot to get people to, to learn and check and understand. That, for me, has been one of the most important lessons um, just in terms of communication and bringing people along. Because back to the point about leadership, you know, you cannot be a leader if you do not have followers. And you don't get followers by saying, follow me. Um, you get followers or, or, or a team that wants to work with you because they understand who you are, that they feel excited, and they feel that you actually have a vested interest in not just your own well-being or your own understanding, but the collective journey that you want everyone to take on. We talked a bit about, obviously, different leadership styles in business. Do you think it's the same? There's different ways to, to lead, different types of personalities that can be successful leaders? I always think that women in particular fall into a trap of thinking that there's one style of, of being a leader. And I think being a leader is actually quite an individual Thing. It's not a costume that you can put on every morning and say, okay, here I go. But it's also about recognizing, spending a lot of time truly understanding who you are and taking responsibility for who you are, taking responsibility and understanding what your strengths are, but equally also taking responsibility and understanding where are you not strong? Where are the problematic areas? Where are the areas that you know are holding you back? Because unless you recognize and own them, you cannot change them and you cannot incorporate it into your own portrait of who you want to be and who you could be as a leader. And I think it's by recognizing that people talk a lot about being authentic and your authentic self. And I think being your authentic self is recognizing both the strengths, but also the stuff that you know deep down that is a weakness and that you I feel uncomfortable about, but unless you recognize it, you can't own it and you can't change it. And the only person who is who is responsible for your career ultimately is yourself. You can have great mentors and you can have great support and you can have great teams, but ultimately the choice is yours and it's up to you to take ownership um, and responsibility for, for who you are. Have you gone through a moment, several moments in your own career where you've kind of gone... Hold on, who, who am I pretending to be here? Well, I, I go to... through that every week. When I talk to other women leaders, everyone has this common thing about, wait, someone's going to find me out, you know, that all that kind of self, self-doubt. self Part of who you are as a human being, and it's part of what keeps you focused on why you want to keep trying. We're here as part of WPP, Stella and the Network. Um, I joined WPP family about 18 months ago, became aware of Stella a few months afterwards. How would you describe it to people? Well, I was part of starting... Stella. And it was mainly about talking about diversity and talking particularly about leadership. And it was about scaling to some extent. One of the programs that WPP does, which is called X Factor, which I have, I participated in a few years ago. And X Factor is a course uh, across WPP run by Charlotte Beers, who was the uh, one of the was the first female CEO of a creative agency, and um, it's a kind of a leadership empowerment course. It's also a forum by which you sit around and, and you meet other women, you know, inside the network, and it's a great experience. One because it's your own kind of individual benefit of learning about leadership and what it means to you. And Charlotte was quite interesting because Charlotte 
had a, had a profound impact on me because she said to me, you know, leadership is about you as an individual, which was, and I've become sort of, I guess, a disciple of that now because it, you know, it's actually true. Um, but then there was also the question about, okay, how can we scale more of these initiatives in a more consistent way across the group? And that's where Stella was born. Stella was born to drive these initiatives, to pilot these initiatives, and for us as a group to be more consistent in the messaging um, um, that we do, and also making WPP a very attractive place for, for women to, to want to work. Um, and it's also about making sure that, that from, a, from a mechanic standpoint, that we are doing everything we can to make sure that no matter where you sit inside WPP, as a woman, you have the exact same opportunities, the similar benefits, similar opportunities, you know, across the, the, the different groups. And that's kind of what we're doing. So Stella's now piloting. We piloted a, a course for Stella at Mindshare on unconscious bias. So not just talking specifically about um, women in, in leadership, but talking about more broadly about diversity. There is lots of work on things like um, looking at the maternity protocols of also different um, businesses. What do you think are the kind of immediate next steps that if people are listening and looking around their own offices thinking, do you know what, I agree, what can people, can companies say? Well, I think one of the interesting things was that the unconscious bias element, because I think people don't set out to, I'm going to hire more men than women. I'm going to hire more young people than old people. I'm going to hire more people like this than, than that. And, and, it, and it's the unconscious bias bit, which, you know, there's lots of practical solutions which you can apply in terms of saying, okay, when you receive CVs, you know, redact the name and redact the university. Right, look at what the, that individual has achieved. One of the lessons coming out of unconscious bias is that if you insert one new person into a regular meeting, that meeting changes. Totally agree. You know, we just um, at H&K did a campaign with Gillette called Gillette Great Starts. Mm. And um, we worked at Football Beyond Borders, who's a South London charity helping young people who are um, uh, not in education, um, employment or training, get them back in using football as the incentive. Mm. And, one, and the campaign offered them internships at Gillette, at Sky Sports and uh, football uh, coaching qualification through Sports Coach UK. And when we were working on it, we all said, well, we need to offer an internship at H&K through this as well, because coming in and working with a sports marketing team on brands like Adidas for those kids is a hugely um, powerful incentive. And the guy that um, we got in through the scheme's been with us for a couple of months now, and it's absolutely incredible. It's that butterfly effect, right? You put in one small change to a bigger ecosystem, yeah, and it does. has a massive ripple effect. Yeah, I mean, we, we do the Mindshare Academy, which is, you know, 20 um, students who are considering leaving school, so they're not quite sure whether they want to go to university or not. And so we've taken them in. And we went through a whole, you know, um, they, they spent a few days here and then we went through a selection process to, to take the, I think there was 50, we went down to 20. And they were assigned mentors um, in, inside the agency. And I participated and I said, actually, I really want to do this. Not only for, for you know, the sake of diversity, but also just to, to, to do something good. I think it's really, really important that people should come to work not only excited for the work that they do, but also for the things that we do that tries to make, you know, a society a better place. And that could be translated in how can we make media 
a force for good. So last year at Cannes, um, Sir Martin Sorrell committed with the uh, rest of the big six marketing holding groups to supporting the UN's sustainable development goals, taking us up to 2030. Uh, each of the groups chose one of them, and Sir Martin committed to sustainable development goal number five, which is gender equality. How proud were you when you saw that he'd arrowed in on that on that topic? Gender equality is absolutely important. Very mindful of your time, um, and you're busy, so we're going to finish with some quick SDGs of our own, so stellar development goals. See what I did there? One personal, one that you'd like to see from Mindshare, and one you'd like to see from the industry. I would like to be a more consistent leader. I, I feel that I still, I kind of feel, I, I, I'm, I'm not um, good enough yet. And I, and I don't think I'll ever be good enough. But, and I suppose maybe that's the point. But I feel like I, I need to be, to be um, more consistent. I also have to um, stop feeling guilty that whenever I speak, somehow I must speak for all womankind. For Mindshare, um, I would like to see, um, I'd like to see more women um, come through the ranks. I think we're quite good at the top um, and quite good at the middle, but it's kind of the, 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 the kind of the, the next, the, the tier in between that I think we could do a lot more um, with. And for the for the industry, successful organisations are diverse organisations, and that should be inbuilt into everything that we do. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you. For more information about Stella or WPP, employees can visit our intranet inside WPP. Stella is listed under communities. Other listeners can visit WPP.com. Subscribe now for up-and-coming podcasts on iTunes. Please spread the word and share amongst women and men, colleagues, friends and families.